0: Alright ladies and gentlemen, if you want to s- discover something from the internet that will make you want to jump out the window, I uh, extremely implore you to look up the term R-C-T-A and I guarantee you you want to jump out the window. In the words Public Enemy, Chuck D. Breathe the noise. Fifth M Podcast Network, I'm Charlie Taylor. And this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in circumstances. At least I have a consistent weather. <laughs> Semi consistent. Um, it's been about, you know, twenty degrees for most of the week, so anyway. That's all that's all I can that's all I can take from this week, honestly. It's all I can take. Just decent weather. Um, going to hit up London on Saturday to take some pictures um, at a party, so that's going to be fun to do. And uh, yeah, got an interview coming uh, next episode for you guys, so um, that's uh, another dope pod for you to step to. And uh, I found a really good long read um, that I want to get into as well, so uh, I may record that sometime uh, after this episode and uh, hopefully drop it uh, companion with the with the Thursday interview, drop it on Fridays and I'll read, you know, just have a something extra why not, and uh, yeah so, see if I can get that done, uh, but yeah uh, not much more to report, let's just right, jump right into the show, why not why, why talk for five minutes, about nothing uh, so we have uh, two films, social media and society segments to get into uh, format is for weekend. email Uh socials, writing, all that in the full show notes as well as the music and podcast under the 5 EPM. With that said, let the beat drop, let's get into the show. In a week where the Biden administration uh, is going to forgive $39 billion in student debt. Wayne on you, UK, uh, Carlos Alcaraz beats Novak Djokovic for Wimbledon. Uh, it's his second major title, so that's uh, good for him. At least it's someone different. Uh, Victoria, the state, Australian state, I think it's a state or county, whatever they call it, uh, pulls out of hosting the 2026 Commonwealth Games. And, uh, I would like to, uh, bring you, uh, bring your attention, uh, to, a episode, uh which one was it? Um, literally, I should, I should probably just, you know, episode 191, uh, where I talked about the Commonwealth Games, and, uh, they came and went at that point, but, um, you know, it's, it's an Empire, uh, offshoot, you know, it's an offshoot of British Empire shit, hence Commonwealth, right? So... Um. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that's a done done diggity for the for the rest of the time. Or just, just at least rebrand the fucker. You know what I mean? Or something. I don't know. But yeah, they don't they don't want to pay for it. So there you go. Uh, Sunek plans to crack down on rip-off degrees because that's what's that's always always finding a way. Um. Just just continuing continuing to cure the ills of this country. Oh, salute to him, man, just constantly, um, just constantly nailing it, you know, just, um, always, you know, nothing else, everything's been done, everything's been done, now we just have to crack down on rip-off degrees, whatever that means, and lastly, fascinating, just headline here, uh, police searched a Las Vegas house in connection with the murder of Tupac Shakur, who knew, there was still was still going on, who knew, I thought it was just a Straub cold case, but, um, here we are, they found something apparently, and uh as so ours. We'll see how that goes in the future. Maybe there's something there, who knows. Alright, let's begin with, uh, what we begin with? We are beginning with the first of two film segments. Um, so this is a piece uh, via a Substack blog uh, by Paris Marks via Disconnect, it's just called Disconnect. Um, and it's about the it's about the uh, Hollywood actor SAG after uh, joining the WGA Writers Guild Writers uh, so Guild of America, and um, yeah, they're joining in strikes and uh, just continuing to put pressure on these uh, billionaire bosses, uh, the Zaslavs, the Igers, the Sarandosses, and all them lot. Um, but yeah, this is called uh, the Digital is... Digital age is cannibalizing us. So um, this is uh, just a, kind of like a... It's kind of a where we're at, at this point. Um, but yeah, let's jump right in. For the first time in 63 years, Hollywood actors and writers are on strike together as they see an unprecedented threat to the future of, profession, of their professions. Increasingly consolidated studios and streaming companies have used their power to deploy new technologies that have upended the business model of Hollywood and disempowered the labour that creates film and television. This isn't just about streaming or AI, but how the digital transition has been structured by corporate players to increase their power over the industry at everyone's expense. In a fiery speech yesterday, announcing that SAG-AFTRA, SAG-AFTRA, the Actors' Union, would be going on strike, National President Fran Drescher, yep, that Fran Drescher, who else, uh, put the blame squarely on the studios, quote, we are being victimised by a very greedy entity, I am shocked by the way the people have been have been in, the people we have been in business with are treating us," she said. "How they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right while while giving millions to CEOs. It's disgusting. Shame on them." Vidresha also specifically pointed to how technology was being used against actors and other workers in the industry. "Quote: The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital AI." She told reports and later in an interview with Holly Report, she expanded on these points. Those points, human beings in all different walks of life are being replaced by robots. And what happens here, the eyes of the world, and certainly Labour in this country, is looking at. It's really important that we put barricades around artificial intelligence, because it's going to put people out of work. The digital age is cannibalising us, Drescher declared. After a couple of months of writer's strike, uh, people are probably familiar with some of the issues. In the shift to streaming, companies transformed the compensation structure of the industry that has resulted in lower pay virtually across the board for writers, actors and other film and television workers. With the occasional exception of the biggest names in Hollywood, uh, a recent story in The New Yorker laid out how this works as actors from the Netflix hit series Orange is the New Black opened up about how little they were paid and how that compares to sitcoms under the old model of broadcasting cable. When it comes to artificial intelligence, actors have a distinct concern about how their performances could be digitally replicated. Don't let work to human actors. In the press conference, chief negotiator Duncan Crabtree Island revealed the studios had proposed that quite Our background performance should be able to be scanned, get one day's pay... Uh, and their companies should own that scan, their image, their likeness, and should be able to use it for the rest of eternity on any project they want with no consent and no conversation. Unquote. It was a non-starter for the union. We've already seen this at Disney, as as they've been digitally replicating dead actors or recreating younger versions of actors for characters like Luke Skywalker, but people in the industry responded to the story on Twitter to say the scan of other actors is already happening. Um, and I would also again like to um, highlight another episode uh, I did. This is way back. This is in 20, November twenty nineteen, episode fifty one, uh, where I talked about CGI actors, um, and that story was uh, in particular was about um, filmmakers using uh, James D. James Dean um, as a CGI foundation, and um, yeah, the CGI actors was a thing. You know, in 2019, and trust me, I, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty freaking sure if you, if you're an insider in Hollywood, that that year has already, uh, you know, upgraded. Um, hence, why we're here at this point. Uh, and while Staley's performers uh, may have uh, leverage to negotiate these things, new actors will not, which is why contract rules are so important. Keanu Reeves, for example, reportedly has a contract clause saying his performances cannot be digitally altered without his permission. Otherwise, you lose your agency, he explained. One point uh, that sticks with me is something I discussed with LA Times reporter Anousha Sakou- Sakou- Sakoui uh, earlier this year. most people think of Hollywood, they think of the A-list actors and big-name directors, but reality is that most people working in the industry are not putting in millions of dollars. They get paid far less and have very little job security, which has only gone worse in the streaming era. These strikes are about fighting for them, making sure it's still possible for new people to get into the profession and have a stable career. There was was recently some media chatter that the resolve of striking writers may have been waning. But if that will... If that was even true, it's sure not to be the case any longer. Not only are those uh, eh, 1150, 11,500 writers, I couldn't account for a second there, writers uh, uh, about to be joined by 160,000 actors, many of whom have already been turning out to picket lines nice to show their support. But a spate of recent comments by studio executives have reinvigorated them. Anonymous studio executives told Deadline the goal was to break the WGA by allowing things to, quote, drag on until union members start losing their, hou- their apartments and losing their houses, unquote. Disney CEO Bob Iger, who's estimated to earn at least $27 million a year, said the actors' and writers' demands were, quote, just not realistic, unquote. The core issue here is not, it's not just how corporate power is fighting to disempower labour, but how it's using new technologies to do it. Visual effects to replace physical work, streaming services to upend the business model, and AI to further de-skill the work of writers and performers. Last month, I outlined the longer history of this since the blockbuster boom of the 1980s and, <clears throat> and the adoption of digital technology at the turn of the millennium. The digital transition has, hasn't has been primarily about efficiency or cost savings in Hollywood, but about further shifting power from labour to corporate executives. That's right by actors and writers isn't just about getting a little bit more uh, from profitable entertainment and streaming companies, but to fight back against the ongoing effort to turn their professions into yet another gig economy where few workers have any stability and the corporate overlords have all the leverage. Solidarity with actors and writers, their victory is essential, not just to protect workers in the industry, but also to halt a further degradation in the quality of film and television by multinational companies that only care about the bottom line. And that's um yeah that's pretty that's pretty solid um you know just um explaining the laying out the land so to speak and um you know it needs to it just needs to be constantly um, reiterated that um, this isn't just about writers and actors right obviously those two are you know significant pillars in the film and television industry. And, uh, and like, you know, just to say this is only in America, right? This isn't happening in the UK, although there are some, uh, picket lines being created, uh, by, uh, you know, uh, more, uh, by other, by other unions in the UK, based in the UK. So that's good. Just to, you know, um, give support on that front, um, and show support, show uh, solidarity. Um, but, you know, it's only happening, in it's only happened in america um for now um but obviously you know what happens in hollywood dictates a lot of things around the world and uh, that's partly why it's important but it's also important because this isn't this is union this is one union dub is a w for a lot of others um in the same way that um in the same way that Christian evangelists, stay with me here, because <laughs> I remember doing an episode about um, how a you know a significant minority in uh, you know Christian evangelists, right wing nut jobs, right that kind of uh, that kind of sect, very small section of the US um, have a ton of influence, and I feel like that is definitely you know possible in when it comes to labor, when it comes to union. When it comes to unions, right? Um, having unions constantly win is a win for a lot of us, um, a lot of people, not and not just in the professions that are, you know, adjacent to it or directly related to it, but others as well. This can this can embolden Amazon union union workers, uh, Starbucks union workers in America, and plenty of others across the world. Um, is if if a dub is achieved here and you know just to say for me personally um the demands uh by the wga and the act and sag after are very very uh you know i think fi- i find reasonable but minuscule um in my mind here's my anarchist brain coming through uh this shit needs to be burnt the fuck down. Um, that's that's my belief uh, i believe it all needs to be burned down and i believe we have the numbers to facilitate a new ecosystem or something you know um i believe that can happen um i don't know how that w- i don't know how it can be started um but i know what it looks like in my head and you know there's a vision for me personally there but um I just wonder if everybody else can actually have that because um, i feel like we can do this we can do everything that's being done uh without without disney without um without netflix without all these people you know we have the internet like the internet is believe it or not still a free entity that we can that you can utilize yourself so if one person can use utilize the internet for that for anything uh be it you know good or nefarious then think about the amount of writers the amount of actors and the amount of people behind those that can actually facilitate um so yeah just a thought proud out there take it how you will Okay, so let's hop into social media, which is, um, I'm going to probably make this uh, semi-quick by quick, you know, probably 15 minutes, hopefully. Um, But this is just something that, you know, I've referenced before. I referenced it, I think, last episode or a couple episodes before. Um, I've referenced it many a time over the years. Um, But I just feel like, it needs to be reiterated, considering where the uh, social media landscape has, you know, shifted in recent months. Uh, with you know, Twitter becoming, well, <laughs> becoming uh, <laughs> uh, delving deeper into a Um it, that's, that's the correct way of saying, it, of course. Um, but yeah, I found this piece uh, just an opinion piece, um, and it just, I don't know, just adds to adds to my increasing boredom in some ways with social media and just a disillusionment. Uh, but, you know, hopefully you still feel the same. Who knows? Um, so this is uh, by Elaine Moore via uh, Financial Times called Why Social Media is Hardly Social Anymore. Um, and obviously this is related to, you know, threads and Twitter and stuff like that. But, you know, you'll get it. Let's jump right in between posing for shirtless photos and trolling Elon Musk online, Mark Zuckerberg has spent the summer sharing his thoughts on the future of social media. Seeing that he just launched the fastest-growing app on record, people are listening. I want to stop there. Um, and obviously, you know, it Threads only gained the gained the the numbers because it just transferred Instagram users um, and made it very very easy um, to, quite unquote, sign up to Threads. Um, so you know. Take how you will. I kind of see it in the same way as Jay Z, you know, sending a million uh, because of Samsung, you know, buying a million units, right? But um, hey ho, wherever is what it is. Um, yeah, I just wanted to like, reference that and also reference the fact that they're not doing Metaverse anymore. Like, how funny is that? They were, they literally he literally named his parent company after Meta and the concept of Meta and the Metaverse, and then completely ditched it. And uh, I was going to talk about it on here on WG, but um, I totally forgot after time. And I uh, just wanted to reiterate that, that, that that actually happened. So funny how we've just gone back to, yeah, the future of social media is just Twitter. <laughs> like <laughs> It's just outstanding to me. Anyway, let's continue. All right. Uh, Threads, Meta's new, Meta's new social network. Had hundred million sign ups in his first five days. Not bad. For a watered down version of Twitter. According to Zuckerberg, the idea is to create a public conversation public conversations app for a billion people. Listening to a billion people talk to one another sounds like a nightmare, but that's not quite what Zuckerberg means. Threads is less a public town square than stage. He doesn't want us all to be part of the conversation. He wants us in the audience. Social media networks are very are not very sociable these days. Feeds are algorithmic which means you see whatever the apps want to show you. After I joined Threads, I saw a lot of brands and celebrities. I couldn't tell you what my friends were posting, but I could tell you that reality star Bethany Frankel had thoughts on the new Barbie movie. Uh, once upon a time, people joined social media networks so they could connect with one another. I signed up to Facebook 2007 to see what my friends were up to online. It's hard to remember why it was so interesting to look at lots of blurry photos of a night out, but I spent a lot of time doing it, God. Yeah, I remember those days where everything was just, like, mad. <laughs> like, a lot of my photos over, you know, over my first, let's say, seven years of uh, of uh, social media use was just like, either iPod Touch or Samsung Galaxy S4. And just, yeah, they, they, they have not aged well at all. Anyway, this that has now been superseded by content from strangers. I still have my social media accounts, but I rarely post anything. For many of us, the point of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter is not to upload our own posts or look at what our friends are doing, but to watch a small number of public creators. Instead of talking to one another, we have become mostly silent onlookers. This is the result of the TikTokification of social media. Our TikTok videos are not designed to connect existing contacts, Their content is consumed by the biggest crowd possible. One strange result of this is that the algorithm can produce a weird form of anonymity. You will sometimes hear TikTok creators preface particularly personal videos with, If you know me, no you don't. Uh, The intended audience is strangers. What this all means is that social media companies are no longer reliant on the network effect of real world relationships that made Facebook so compelling in the first place. Who cares if your friends haven't joined a particular social network? They are not the ones whose content you're interested in anyway. In theory, this should open the sector up to more competition. There has, been, uh, has been certainly been a flurry of new apps in the past couple of years, including companies such as Hive and Post. But there's a catch. To draw an audience, you need big hitting names. This is why Threads look the way it does, with brands and well-known accounts promoted heavily. It is the reason Musk split Twitter's timeline in two and added an algorithm base for you feed when he bought the company, which is the most annoying fucking thing. And um I just, I just hit. I, I'm always using the following. I never use the for you bit, and it's just annoying that that tab is there. And now, as of Wednesday this recording, um, I did have six tabs on Twitter. Um, which included Spaces and a new thing called Communities, and now Spaces has actually just disappeared for, on my phone. So it's very funny how that works. Um, anyway, for you, yeah. here's why Snapchat has added creator content to more parts of the app, including the map, and why a feed of chronological posts is no longer the default on Facebook. This shift has changed the dynamic between social media users and companies. Content that was once free is growing expensive. If you want Mr. Beast to leave his 167 million YouTube subscribers for your social media platform, you'll need to make it worth his while. Here's the expansion of revenue sharing schemes and creator funds. As creators grow uh, more powerful, their influence is expanding into more areas, including news. In the past, newsrooms have tried to help journalists become social media stars with mixed success. Turning creators into journalists means more views. Social media has had a fractious relationship. Uh, with uh, news, blaming it for negativity and unwanted controversy. Meta created a Facebook journalism project in 2017, oh, glad I'd never heard of that, uh, but until now, but has re- repeatedly said it may opt to remove news. Executive Adam Mosseri, uh, who heads up Threads, says the new app will not do anything to encourage politics and, quote-unquote, hard news. Other platforms want to incorporate news on their own, more creator-friendly terms. Uh, I recently visited the London office of the News Movement, a new startup co-founded by former Dow Jones chief executive Will Lewis. That just sounds horrible. Uh, it has a partnership with Snapchat that offers young creators rudimentary journalism training, helping them to identify bias and misinformation. For example, new creators are then encouraged to add Snapchat to the roster of platforms they use. <laughs> uh, of course, Makaya uh, uh, Makaya Miles, a young American with over fifty-eight thousand TikTok followers. Got one million Snapchat views for his video explaining the disappearance of the titan submersible. Career journalists may wince, but higher engagement means advertisers will be happy. Last year, slowing ad growth led to decorations, and it was the end of social media era. In fact, we are only witnessing the death of social networking. Uh, This is the age of creators. Social media's role in digital media entertainment is just getting started. That's a good good way to finish it, because it kind of um, leaves it on a... Very, um, what's the word? Uh, A very ominous but blunt note, right? Where you kind, and kind of like a cliffhanger, because yeah, you know, she's kind of right. Social media, social networking, social networks—they they're kind of just not that anymore, right? And um, that's probably that's probably coinciding in why I just don't care anymore. Um, I don't know if I said last week, but um, I'm on Blue Sky now. And it's not a guess. It's not. It's not great. It's it's boring to be honest. I've uh, I posted one thing on there, which is just uh, my links to my writing, my photography, The Fifth Element, and etc. That's all I've put on there. And uh, you know, a couple of people liked it. A couple of people followed me off the back, and that was it. I just, I just, and then I've just uh, not really gone on it too much. Um, I go on it, and I see people that I don't know just chatting shit, and I'm just like, what's the point? What is honestly the point? Um, so yeah, uh, it, it's, it's there, I have it on my phone, it'll probably be deleted at the same time I delete Twitter, who knows, I'll probably just delete both in unison, um, but yeah, it's just... just it's just useless in that in that sense, right? It's not a social network. I uh, you know, I got the invite code from a friend and I followed that friend and that's it. It's like there's nobody else I know quote unquote on there. Um there's people I may follow on Twitter that have also gone to there and they post there pretty regularly. But you know, I don't care that much to do that, to go on a to migrate to a different platform just for that kind of just for those people. It doesn't it doesn't I don't care. I really don't care. So um uh, who knows? Um, I really thought Twitter would be like the last bastion of um, me being on social media. But at this point, it might be fucking fucking Instagram. Honestly, it's, it's kind of crazy how that's happened um, because, you know, I still it still has an element of keeping up with people I, I know on IG and, you know, they post semi-regularly. Um, I don't. Um, you know, I'm one of those silent consumers, I guess, in that sense, but, you know, I'm not even consuming, um, you know, any, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, uh, I feel, I feel I don't, I'm, you know, connecting with or looking at content creators, quote unquote. I'm just looking at my people. Um, you know, people I've interviewed, people I listen to music wise and, you know, creative people. Uh, that's it. Um, I'm not looking for you know, obviously, I get some, you know, I guess some memes, right? I get, i you know, I get some memes back and forth uh, from a couple of people. Uh, you know, IG honeys, there you go, that too. Um, but apart from that, nothing much. And Twitter's just become less and less, uh, you know, a basis to get any news or any of that sense. Um, I just have to go, you know, via different means on that front. But yeah, man, um, you know, just social networks, yeah. R.I.P. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hop into the second uh, film uh, segment. And uh, this one's... uh, I'm leaving on two relatively fun ones here. So um, this one is about the... I mean... Fifty years since the death of Bruce Lee, but um, you know it's a nice um, it's a nice piece on just um, his legacy, and uh, obviously we see his legacy as something you know of uh, that starts off with you know badass, um, you know fighter, you know martial artist, etc., etc., film star, right? And then goes you know as far as you know. Asian American uh, icon and uh, you know, a a great uh touchstone for Asian Asian iconography, right? Um in the modern culture. Um but there's others as well. There's other touchstones that you can use uh for Bruce Lee and uh this is the article that does it, um, hopefully. I haven't read it all, but yeah, <laughs> that's the point. Uh so this is by Steve Rose, by The Guardian. It's called Tom Cruise, Anti Imperialism and Zero Body Fat. Bruce Lee's Legacy, fifty years after his death. Can't believe it's been fifty years. That's ki- that's kinda crazy. Um, considering how ubiquitous he is. So, I I mean, I saw ads last year for like uh, this uh, clothing clothing brand that had like a deal with his estate and was like and had like sick Bruce Lee hoodies and stuff like that. It was just, you know, that's that's basically what it is, just commodification at this point, but um, anyway, enough of that, let's jump right It is not certain uh, that Bruce Lee were to have seen a kung fu duel uh, involving sex toys as a fitting tribute to his legacy, but the Oscar triumph of Everything Everywhere All at Once earlier this year is a reminder, 50 years after his death, of what a trail he has blazed. Lee smashed down the door for Asian representation pretty much single and bare-handedly, even if he died too soon to be a beneficiary of it. Lee is one of those rare stars who is bigger than his movies. Despite leaving a slim body of work just for complete films, he practically spawned a whole genre and wrote the book for Hollywood action to this day. Lee runs through the DNA of global culture, video games, hip-hop and mixed martial arts, not to mention the general rise of the super fit, zero body fat, masculine physical ideal. Wasn't he like five for something? Anyway. Um, the fact that he died young in perplexingly banal circumstances, a reaction to a painkiller, only burnishes his myth. And he also built a unique persona, intense, disciplined, physical, yet cerebral, light years away from Western stereotypes of Asian masculinity that were very much in play when he first came to Hollywood in the mid-1960s. He was born in San Francisco, then grew up in Hong Kong before returning to the US, aged 18. It was a time when East Asian men were depicted as servants, the villains, or buck-toothed buffoons, often played by white actors, see Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Lee grew exasperated at being used as a subservient sidekick in the TV series The Green Hornet. Despite training a roster of celebrity students in martial arts, including Steve McQueen, James Coburn and Sharon Tate, Lee uh, realised the US was not ready to accept an Asian leading man. The final insult came with the 1970s TV series Kung Fu. Lee's involvement in developing the show, which followed a Shaolin monk in the Old West, is contested. Either way, he auditioned for the lead role only to be passed over in favor of David Carradine, who had neither Chinese ancestry or not any knowledge of martial arts. Oh, I f- I, s- I feel like I have a re- I've- I have an inkling of where this is going to go. <laughs> I just i I'm if he if he doesn't mention it if he doesn't make the connection I'm I'm gonna throw my phone out the window. I'm pretty I'm I I'm calling it now. I'm calling my shot. He's gonna mention it. What is it? Let's just see. Was sent to Hong Kong in 1971, Lee churned out four movies in two years and exploded into global superstardom. As well as displaying his dazzling physical skills, these movies were narratives of resistance. He stood with the oppressed factory workers and against criminal corruption in The Big Boss. In Fist of Fury, he embarked on a one-man crusade against colonial oppression in 1920 Shanghai and, by extension, British ruled 1970s Hong Kong. Forcing his Japanese adversaries to literally eat their words, describing China as, quote, the sick man of East Asia, unquote. In the way of the dragon, he saves the family restaurant and tears a strip of Chuck Norris at the Coliseum. Uh, Yeah, Coliseum. It wasn't just local audiences. Lee became a universal symbol of defiance, a man of colour seeking to express himself with the tools he had available. When Hong Kong students were resisting Chinese authoritarianism in 2019, they adopted Lee's maxim, Be Water. The success of these films caught Hollywood's, Hollywood's attention at last. But, even with his classic Enter the Dragon, released a month after his death, Lee wasn't trusted to carry the movie alone, so Jim Kelly and John Saxon were cast alongside him. The 70s kung fu craze fed into everything from comic books, Marvel Stan Lee once described Lee as a superhero without a costume, to pop music. By that time, Lee had already uh, reinvigorated the Hong Kong film industry, which has sent a flow of actors westwards ever since. Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen, Maggie Chung, and of course, Michelle Yeoh. Not to mention a stream of Western martial uh, martial artists from Jean-Claude Van Damme to Jason Statham. Equally significant was the export of action filmmakers such as John Woo and Yuen Wo-Ping, the latter famously giving The Matrix its distinctive action flavour. By the 21st century, Hong Kong flavoured action had become the must-have ingredient of action cinema and has remained so ever since you could draw a direct line from Lee to say Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible. We directed the second installment, Marvel's Shang-Chi, the comic was inspired by Lee, or Keanu Reeves, John Wick, whose star and director Chad Stahelski uh, both cut their teeth on The Matrix. And let's there we go, there it is. I was waiting for it. And let's not forget Quentin Tarantino, who borrowed wholesale from Hong Kong cinema in general. Reservoir Dogs lifted the plot of Ringo Lam's City on Fire. And in *Kill Bill*, Uma Thurman wears a trademark yellow Bruce Lee tracksuit, facing off against dot 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 David Carradine. Tarantino did little to return. Can you? I can hear myself smile. Like when I talk, sometimes it's great. Um, Tarantino did little to return the favor in *Multiple Time Hollywood*, which depicted Lee, played by Mike Moe, as quote a little man with a big mouth. Unquote. In the words of Brad Pitt, stuntman who almost beat him in a fight. Uh, it was regarded as an insulting caricature, caricature by many, including Lee's daughter Shannon. Quote, they didn't need to treat him in the way that white Hollywood did when he was alive, she said. And I would also, again, once again, I'm, I'm really surprised I'm just... um knocking off these uh knocking off these mentions of previous episodes but i did actually cover this uh this uh, saga as well okay i'm just just letting you let's let you guys know that i also covered it as well i'm actually just about to um uh, <laughs> uh try and uh, find uh, the episode in question there it is episode 133 lee versus Tarantino. Excuse me. Leave us in Tarantino, NCAA NIL, and more Olympics BS. And that was on July 8th, 2021. Go me. Um, see? All that, all, that, all that coverage. I'm covering shit from 2021, 2019. I'm, I'm banging these out, baby. Um, let me know if you actually spin these episodes in any fashion. Uh, the problems have not totally gone, uh, gone away. In terms of whitewashing, evasion uh, content, stereotyping in industry, uh, representation... But there has been progress, and it is Lee, we should think. Beyond that, he is still exhilarating to watch on screen. Much about his movies now appears dated, but his physicality and presence are still awe-inspiring. He was a consummate, self-made man, but also uh, a man of the people. No wonder he still strikes a chord. Oh, and apparently Enter the Dragon is being re-released in UK cinemas on August 11th. Ooh. Okay. I mean, I've seen Enter the Dragon before. That's the only Bruce Lee film I've actually seen. Um, I haven't seen um, uh, Fist of Fury, which I do want to see. But um, yeah, all, all of those I haven't actually, uh, apart from Enter the Dragon, I have not uh, seen. Um, I remember seeing a film, uh, uh, not a film, a TV series. Uh, I think it was called Warrior. Um, that was very, like, I think it was uh, based on, Lucy based on, like, a novel that Bruce Lee wrote, um, which is basically biography of his life you know what i mean just you know very loosely based on his life um and um it's like semi autobiographical, right and the action in it oh, i still that action just lives rent free in my head i think it's called warrior i think it's called warrior let me just uh look it up right quick uh warrior tv show and just hope that is the one because if it's not i don't fucking remember the rest of it um but yeah it's yeah it's called warrior Only one of two two seasons. Um, I actually don't think I've been able to see the second season, but I remember seeing the first season. And fuck me, the action. Oh, the action's so good. The action is so fucking good. Um, So, yeah, please give that a spin if you want to spin that. Um, But, yeah, here we are, Bruce Lee, right? And it's so freaking true, man. It's so, so true, just how... um, of how ubiquitous Bruce Lee is, you know, just as a cultural figure, I would go as far as to say, uh, like, if you were just listening off global figures in and in culture, global culture, um, Bruce Lee's top ten, maybe top five. Um, go to any country and say Bruce Lee; they're, they're gonna they're gonna do the... Hoh-hoh! You know, they're gonna do that shit, right? Um, you know, Be Water; they're gonna do, they're gonna say all that shit. They're gonna do the. Hoh-hoh! They're gonna do all that. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine, I can't think of many others that are so ubiquitous everywhere in uh in global culture. Not just American culture, not just Western culture, not just Eastern culture, all of it. You can go to Africa, say Bruce Lee, and they're gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm sure I'm pretty freaking sure he is that big of a global figure. Um in, in global culture. I will go as far as to say, I'm putting i s I'm putting a snap down now, top ten Maybe even top five. I would love to actually um, get some thoughts on just um, who else would you pick as like global cultural figures that just people, everyone knows and um, everyone likes as well. That's probably even short list that people actually like them. There's probably a lot of global cultural figures that people know of and don't even fucking like them. Um, obviously, you know, politics is definitely one uh, of, uh, you know, many people that I hated um, but yeah, Bruce Lee loved a shit, I can imagine. Um, so yeah man. Fifty years after his death, man, crazy, crazy how that time and he still seems like a dude just there was just like, you know, banging them out in, you know, in it felt it felt like uh, you know, it just felt recent, um, watching Enter the Dragon. Obviously it isn't by it, a lot of ways um sound design and sound editing very very obvious there um in that sense obviously the visual quality but um yeah um so yeah if you're in, in the uk august 11th apparently enter the dragon is showing so if you haven't seen it i implore you, give it a spin it's a very good fucking film And to finish off uh, we finish off with a society topic and uh, it's a dub it's a big dub on this one big big Ws uh, in the chat for this one uh, I, I recently just um, caught wind of this story um, and I, I wasn't aware of it beforehand um, I was only aware of the result which is a good result um, but easy could have been bad um, but yeah this is about a uh, uh, just the community of Brixton um, in South London obviously um, basically, took on a uh, took on a, commu- a, a, a developer, a building, uh, you know, a developing firm, and uh, actually won. <coughs> so um, yeah, this is the news of that and the story of it. <coughs> Excuse me. This is um, by Suyin Haines um, via Open Democracy. It's called "How Brixton's Community Took on a Major Developer and Won." So let's jump on. Nestled between two uh, railway tracks uh, near the famous Electric Avenue. Uh, Brixton's Pope Road Street Market is bustling with activity. Sisters Natalie and Mary Claire prep for the day, chopping fish heads and stirring stew at their stall, selling cuisine from West, from across West Africa. Opposite them, Didas and his team of traders unpack boxes of Jamaican herbs, vegetables, spices, arranging them on the stall he's held there for years. It's an everyday scene, but this morning the traders have caused to celebration. Since 2020, a major threat has loomed large over the area. Controversial plans for a 20-storey office block in Pope Road from Hondo Enterprises, a developer owned by Texan millionaire Taylor McWilliams. Fucking Texan-ass name. Taylor McWilliams! That has already brought up significant swathes of the South London neighbourhood, including Brixton Market. (coughs) The proposal sparked a passionate Fight Fight the Tower community campaign and over the last 12 hours, news has been filtering through the stallholders, campaigners and locals that the plans are no more. They have won. Last night, four days before a scheduled hearing with the mayor of London at City Hall, Hondo withdrew its planning application. Quote, I'm so happy this has happened because this is really aggressive capitalism, says Natalie, clapping her hands together on hearing the news. She's had a stall in the market since January, yet says she was only contacted once a week ago for a meeting about the proposed tower. In, letter C- in a letter to City Hall, Hondo's planning consultant DP nine said, quote, The very long period of gestation over the past two years has a had has had a profound impact on the ability to vo- deliver this much needed jobs and skills boost in Brixton, unquote. The letter added that Hondo hoped to return with a revised proposal, quote, that is able to de- deliver lasting benefits for Brixton's businesses and residents, unquote. For now, though, it's a victory for the community fl- following a near three-year battle with Hondo, uh, with both Hondo and Lambeth Council. It began in November 2020 when the council granted per- planning permission for the town, despite more than 8,000 people signed a position opposing it including heritage groups Historic England and the Brixton Society. Since then, it's been uh, it, it's been in planning purgatory. Sadiq Khan backed the plans and then reconsidered his decision. on missed deadlines to consult with the local community, and just days before a scheduled hearing in June last year, the company requested a p- postponement. This period of limbo has had a major impact on the community and left businesses, business owners and residents worried about their livelihoods. There's a feeling people in Brixton are all too familiar with, having spent years fighting against the gentrification of their neighbourhood, one that has been shaped by migration and is intrinsically connected with the stories and experiences of the Windrush generation. All well, comes back down to the Windrush generation, eh? Uh, quote, this has been a David and Goliath situation, said Danai, Uh Nardi, uh, an organiser with the Fight the Tower campaign. For her, the campaign was never about uh, never only about the planning uh, application. Uh, it is about spaces and people. It's about our everyday life and it's about the happiness of the people around us, she says. Nardi moved to Brixton 26 years ago from Greece and has seen the creeping tide of gentrification affect the area starting slowly in the 1990s and then accelerating rapidly. According to Rightmove, properties in Brixton had an average price of six, six hundred six hundred £644,829 over the last year, up 5% on 2020. Properties in Lambeth are now more expensive than they are in fellow South London boroughs Croydon and Sutton. Quote Over the last five years, to five to ten years, it's been violent. People from black and brown communities have already been displaced from the area. It's happening systematically, says Nadi, referring to Caribbean families living in multi generational households being priced out of the area and having to move to more affordable neighbourhoods. These are changes that Stedman Scott, who has lived in Brixton since 1967, has observed too. For more than two decades, Scott has worked with young people through uh, FEWI, uh, the boxing gym, I'm probably saying that wrong, um, and football academy he co-founded, based at Brixton Recreation Centre. Scott is deeply involved with campaigning to preserve Brixton's heritage, both participating in the recent Fight the Tower campaign and the campaign to award Brixton Recreation Centre listed building status in 2016. Quote, This is a multicultural place, and the council has to realise that the people are the heartbeat of the community, he says. I'm thinking about integration and how we build a Brixton for the future, rather than a stupid office block. Why don't you give us a multicultural community centre? Pope's Pope's Road has always been a family place, so why not have a multicultural centre where everyone can input? The dispute over the tower is not the first time Hondo has disrupted the lives of Brixton's community. After discovering that their much loved local grocery shop Nor Cash and Carry uh, was being threatened with eviction by Hondo in 2020 Nadi and a small group of campaigners came together to form Save Nowa I'm hoping I'm saying that right it's like sour with the n so I'm saying Nowa uh, the umbrella campaign uh, that encompasses fight the tower and eventually the developers back down It's also Brixton Market Natalie says Hondo is not popular with her friends who have businesses there quote Hondo never did anything to improve people's economic lives in the market, she says. As we walk through Noor's new space, also in Brixton Market, excuse me, Nardi, Nardi points out the slices of watermelon for sale, recommending it served frozen with feta cheese before greeting the shop's manager. Feta cheese and watermelon? Okay, interesting. Uh, never heard of that before. No, as I'm in every day. Uh, quote, they just don't understand how space works, she says to Hondo. It's really... Important to have deep understanding of the area, which is not easy, and to study the effect that these changes have on local communities, unquote. From Nardi and Scott, there are lingering questions that go beyond the tower alone, particularly when it comes to the role of Lambeth Council in supporting the area's marginalized communities. Quote, we need Lambeth Council to hold Hondo to account for the way they treat traders, and we need the council to take responsibility for, housing, for the housing crisis and their management of it, says Nadi. This is an ending and a beginning at the same time, unquote. Scott wants to see greater recognition of the Caribbean community's contributions in and history in the area. Alongside support for youth programs. The importance of the Jamaican legacy being maintained in Brixton will be wiped away by a council not taking responsibility, he says. There will be more battles to come, but Didas the trader says he feels more relaxed now in the knowledge that the imminent threat of the tower has gone, quote. I was hoping that the result would be on our side rather than their side, because sometimes the man with the the money gets his own way of what the people want, he says as he sets up his stall's banner. It's a breath of fresh air to know the people have spoken, unquote. This kind of reminds me of, um, I'm currently, I don't want to say currently because I'm kind of on and off with it, but um, I've been trying to watch uh, Treme, um, the David Simon, um, uh, show from I don't know fifteen or so years ago, which is basically um, a, a depiction of life after Katrina um, in New Orleans, and um, and uh, season two um, has this kind of like um, you know uh, yuppie basically yuppie from Texas um, who's like you know enjoying all the fruits of New Orleans. He loves he loves the food, he loves the music, he loves the people, but he's also like a you know just. All in, you know, property development and politics and basically just, you know, um, just, just, you know, becoming a consigliere for, you know, rich, rich white dudes. Right. And uh, I haven't watched it all. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm a few episodes in it, but um, it's very obvious where it's going to (laughs) go and he's going to win. You know, they're going to win. They're going to get what they want. And, um, you know, that's that's the case for a lot of people. And um, I don't think this W from the Brixton community can be taken lightly. Um, this is an extraordinary win. It's extraordinary to actually see a community band together and actually, you know, and actually be a firm that has already, you know, uh, already made themselves, made themselves known in the area. And, uh, yeah, man, the fact they actually won is, um, a huge, amazing win. And, uh, salute to the people of Brixton um blessings to all of you and with that said I shall leave it there a little short one um well 10 minutes off the usual time but you know I've had long ones so get off my back uh <laughs> ladies and gentlemen from the Fifth Home Podcast Network I have been Shilajitone and it's been most good intro music has been too much by vanilla thanks to your music for BZ's track and also friend of Ivy Nappy Hire for BZ's charismatic from interlude uh, you can also find his link in the full channels and with that said I hope you all have a good week I shall always try and do the same But until next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.